Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you stand with me in honor of reading of the Word of God? We are going to be in Romans, continuing our teaching series in Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at, what is that, four verses this morning, 14 through 17. So if you'll stand with me, this is the Word of God, Romans 1, 14 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I praise you that we get to come together this morning and open your word. This is your word. Your word is living. Your word is active. Your word has the power to change lives. So I ask that you would help us this morning to hear. I ask that you would help us to understand with our minds. I ask that you would help us to believe in our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we're getting started this morning, I want uh, to ask you to uh, calculate something. I want you to think about how old you were back in the summer of 1983. Okay, that's 39 years ago. Uh, How old were you in uh, 1983, the summer of? Now, uh, out of curiosity, how many of you did not even exist in 1983 just by the raising of your hand? Okay, so uh, that's good. It means we have a young congregation. Uh, That's good. Uh, But then there's a lot of us who can remember uh, how old you were. I was uh, 13 years old. And um, it was a summer when I became close friends with a classmate that uh, I'm going to rename him and call him Eric this morning. But uh, we both lived in Fairview. We both went to the same elementary school. We both went to middle school, but we were not really close friends until this summer because the, our friend circles just did not overlap back, in, back then. And uh, we, we went to the same church And that summer, we spent a whole lot of time together, going to youth activities, uh, going to church together. We went swimming together. Back in the the day, uh, U.S. Highway 74 was only two lanes. And so you could ride your bicycles back and forth. I would not recommend that. I don't even know if that's legal now. But we, we would ride our bicycles back and forth to each other's houses. And we got really close that summer. We talked about everything. And you know, near the end of the summer, we went to a camp. Some of you might be familiar with Camp Caswell. It was a Baptist camp that we went to, uh, a church camp, and it was a great week. And at the end of the week, uh, the youth director had to sit in a circle and go around and, and give what, what they, were, they called warm fuzzies. We call them encouragement today. But 
I remember it came to Eric's turn to share. He was sitting right next to me, and he talked about how great the week was. And then he turned to me and he said, James, this summer you'll become my best friend. And I remember how that touched me. And, you know, in my, my awkward junior high way, I gave him a hug, you know, and just uh, was looking forward to uh, the rest of the summer with him. And so we, we went through the rest of the summer and the school year came around. And when we went back to school, um, I can remember standing at my locker and uh, it was open this way and Eric was standing right here. And I could tell that he was intending to continue our friendship into the school year. But to my shame, something rose up in me, um, embarrassment. I felt ashamed that I could not continue this friendship. And I remember as I closed that locker door, I closed our, our friendship. Our, our friendship was never the same again. Now, I am not proud of that, just so you'll know starting out here. Um, for years, even in, into my adult life, as I have thought back to that incident, I have felt shame. I have wrestled with that. I mean, how could a disciple of Jesus, and that's what I was back then, how could I so coldly abandon someone who had been my friend? Why was I ashamed of my friend? And, you know, that story that I just told, I told it for a reason. It has a correlation to today's passage. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to do a little recap of last week. Uh, when we began the book of Romans, because we began by looking at the mindset of Paul. How although Jesus had come to him and had appointed him to be an apostle, this great apostle, Jesus gave him the authority uh, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to plant churches throughout the ancient world, to write scripture, and yet Paul says that he, he foremost identified himself as a servant. Remember that? That's what we talked about last week, as a, as a doulos, the, the property of another. And I want to, I asked a question last week that I want to ask again this week as we're continuing forward. Do you, do you desire to grow in your walk with Jesus? That's a question that we need to ask every time we open up the Word of God. Lord, am I willing to be obedient, to grow in what you're going to share with me this morning. And so we need to be asking that because, again, in our passage today, we are going to be challenged by the mindset of Paul. It's going to require us, each of us, to examine our own lives, not, not your neighbor next to you. Don't be, don't be going like, man, I hope this guy's listening, okay? This is meant for you this morning. This is meant for me. And, and it's, it's meant for us to be truthful about where we really are this morning. We can be, as believers in Christ, we can be truthful about where we really are because in Christ we have hope that we don't have to stay where we are. Okay, so this morning as we're reading, as we're going through the passage, if the Holy Spirit is nudging on you and going, you know what, you're guilty of this. Praise God, because you know what he's saying? 
I want to change you in this. So we can come this morning to the scriptures, being where we are, knowing that we don't have to stay where we are. And as we move through this passage this morning, I want to look at three gospel observations that come straight from the passage. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you at the beginning. We'll go through them again so you don't have to write them down yet, but I just want to kind of let you know where we're going. We're going to see that Paul was obligated to preach the gospel. That's verse 14. Paul was eager to preach the gospel in verse 15, and then that Paul was unashamed of the gospel in verse 16. So let's begin with the first one in verse 14, that Paul was obligated to preach the gospel. Verse 14, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, you might have a different translation this morning that instead of it saying obligated, it says debtor. I am a debtor to Greeks and barbarians. I think actually that that is a better translation here uh, because in the Greek, that's literally what it means to be a debtor. And uh, I think some translators don't translate it that way because it can be confusing. I mean, how, uh, how does the gospel, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ create a debt in your life? I mean, I thought that Jesus died I thought he died to cancel our debts, right? Well, there's two ways. If you know anything about debt, there's two ways you can go into debt. Number one is, and this is the most common, is that you can borrow money from someone. So every time you pull out your credit card and you swipe it, what you're basically doing is borrowing money from the bank. Now, listen, if you can't pay that back every month, you need to burn that thing, okay? Okay? So anyway, I'm not teaching to be credit card people, but you go into debt. So that's the first way, by borrowing money. The second way is to go into debt by uh, being given something for someone else by a third party. Okay, so let's say that you uh, had a friend and they gave me, let's say, $1,000. And they said, I want you to give it to, to my friend. I want you to give it to you. I am indebted to you until I give you that money. And I think Paul, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I've been given something infinitely more than $1,000 by Jesus to give to those who are around me. I'm I'm indebted. I I, uh, am obligated to give this away. And and until I uh, fully deliver it, I have not done my job. And when he says Greeks, when he says barbarians, when he says wise and foolish, what he's saying here is that regardless of uh, your background, regardless of your ethnicity, the gospel is meant for all people. It is meant for everyone. He's saying it's for the wise. It's for wise people. Those who have, that know how to live skillfully and competently, uh, that, that show that that, that they are wise. They need the gospel. He all, but he also says, so do the foolish people. Those who haven't lived so wisely, those, the, the prodigals who have blown it, who have messed up their lives by living recklessly and irresponsibly, they need the gospel too. And, and what Paul is saying here is he's saying, I feel this, I have this heavy responsibility, this, this debt, this obligation to make sure Everyone has an opportunity to hear, to understand, and then to respond to the gospel. 
That's what he feels obligated about. Now, let me ask you this. Is that how you feel, church? Is that how you feel about the gospel? As a disciple of Jesus, do you feel indebted and obligated for the lost to hear, to understand, and to respond to the gospel? Are you burdened for those who you come in contact with every day? I want you to think about that. What is the truth? Where are you really at right now? Now, if the answer to that question is no, good news. Jesus wants to change you this morning. He wants to empower you this morning so that you and I will carry the same burden that Paul had, who, number one, was under obligation to preach the gospel. Secondly, we see that Paul was eager to preach the gospel. He says it in verse 15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, as, he's, as I said last week, Paul has never been to Rome at this point, but he says, I long to be there. And it's not to be a tourist in Rome. He doesn't want to go study the, you know, the Roman architecture there or go to the Colosseum and you know, catch a good gladiator fight. Uh, actually, the Colosseum wasn't built till around 70 AD, so this is before that, so he couldn't have done that even if he had wanted to. But Paul says, I was eager, he's eager to go to Rome. Why? To preach the gospel to those in Rome. That word preach simply means to proclaim. It means to deliver a good message. It's where we get our word evangelize from. To proclaim good news, not just from the pulpit, it doesn't mean to preach like I'm doing right now, to proclaim this way. It means to, to proclaim it also in the marketplace. It means to share it wherever you're at, wherever people are. Paul says, I want to preach it. I want to proclaim the gospel. Now, in verse 14, remember, he says, I want to preach to Greeks and barbarians, those who are outside the church. But in verse 15, he says, I want to preach to you. He's talking to the church also in Rome. This is very important to see this. Why is Paul saying, I'm, I want to preach the gospel to you? I mean, they've already heard the gospel. They're already saved. Well, that's because we got to understand that the gospel is not just a message that you hear, you get saved, and then you move on to bigger and better things. We talk about this a lot when we talk about being gospel-centered. It is not a message of the church. It is the message of the church. It's something that you, you go deeper into. It's meant for uh, those who are lost to bring them to salvation, but it's also meant for us to sanctify us. Um, it empowers us. It, it motivates us. It fuels us. The gospel, the message, when it's fresh in our hearts and our minds, it, it, it empowers us to grow to maturity in Christ. And, and Paul says, I'm eager I am so eager to preach that because he sees, you know why he, he's eager? He sees the gospel as being a good thing. He wants everyone to taste what he's tasted. He wants everyone to taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in God. Uh, this kind of reminds me of, of me and Kelly uh, when we go out to eat. Uh, for dinner, 
with Visa cards. When, when her meal, listen, when her meal is on point, uh, she's the kind of person that just expresses it. And she wants everyone at the table to know it. And she's always like, honey, you got to taste this. And it's always when I've just put something in my mouth. I'm like, and I swallow it and I'm like, okay, let me taste it. Oh yeah, that, that is good, honey. That's how she is. Mmm, this is so good. <laughs> but see, I'm not like that. I'm just the opposite. When I'm eating something that's good, I'm like, I ain't telling nobody. <laughs> this is mine. This is all mine. Um, I want to keep it for myself. I don't want to share it with everybody. And also, I love going to dinner with her because she only eats half of it. So I get a meal and a half. So I'm going to taste whether it's good or bad at the end anyway. But um, I'm off my point here. Okay. There's people that are eager and not eager to share. Kelly represents in this, this story what we should be like when it comes to the gospel. Man, you got to taste this. This is good. I represent what many of us struggle with, keeping it to myself not being eager to share with others. What about you? What about you? I want you to ask yourself right now, am I eager to share the gospel or am I keeping it to myself? Do I wake up in the morning thinking, man, I cannot wait to go to work or school or wherever you, you are and share the gospel? Well, Jesus wants to encourage us that we can be like Paul. We can be like Paul, who couldn't keep it to himself because he felt, number one, obligated to others. He was eager to proclaim it to all who would listen. And number three, Paul was unashamed of the gospel. Let's look at it in verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And when you think about the gospel, uh, it, it's interesting because it, it means good news. Gospel means good news. Now, who isn't eager to share news when it's good? Um, it's difficult for me not to share good news. Some of y'all know that firsthand because uh, we're having a lot of babies here in, in this church. And some of you have come to me and go, listen, I haven't told anybody this, but I'm going to tell you we're going to have a baby. And I get so excited that uh, sometimes I forget that they told me not to tell anybody. And uh, I share the gospel. I'm just sharing the gospel. I'm sharing the good news. And Kelly's like, James, you weren't supposed to do that. I was like, well, I can't help it. It's such, I, I forget. Now, I promise you I'm getting better at that. I'm also good if you're getting, going to get engaged. Uh, right, Bill? If, if someone's getting engaged, uh, don't tell me that either because I've been known for doing that too, telling the good news. I got... Man, that's a good story. Uh, they're married now, so we're all good. But, I, but you know, I, I, seriously, I haven't done that lately. I'm growing in this, okay? Uh, I can keep secrets. I really can. But the point I'm making here is that good news is something that we like to share, typically. But when it comes to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth is that we can be tempted to be ashamed. Have you ever noticed that, that there can be a temptation? Now, the question that, that really doesn't make sense, I mean, how can we be ashamed of the one who left heaven, who created us? He left heaven, he pursued us, he died in our place 
so that we could be forgiven of all our sins and rebellions and that we could be welcomed into fellowship with God because that's the end product of being saved is to be back in fellowship with God, to know him, to love him, to worship him, to serve him. Jesus has made all that possible by what he did for us. And then we can feel be ashamed of that. That that just does not make sense. But you know, it's, it's similar to why I felt ashamed back in junior high with Eric. I've thought about that over the years. Why was I ashamed of him? And I was ashamed of him because um, association with him threatened the kingdom that I was selfishly building for myself back then. I had this this kingdom that I was was trying to build. I wanted to be cool back in the day. Um, I wanted to hang out with the cool kids. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be respected. And in my insecure, self-centered reasoning, I reasoned that a relationship with Eric would threaten my little junior high empire that I was building. And so I was ashamed of I was ashamed of the one who had been a friend to me when we went back to school. And I think that, you know, that can be how a small picture of what it can be like for us when it comes to Jesus. We can be ashamed of of the one who has been the ultimate friend to sinners. And the reason why is because he threatens our temporary earthly kingdoms. When you come to Jesus, he threatens our reputations, our comforts, our personal dreams and goals and ambitions that we may have for ourselves, our finances, and in some of the most extreme cases, our very lives. According to an article entitled The Countries Where It's Most Dangerous to Be a Christian in 2021, a man named by the name of Joe Carter, he writes that North Korea is the number one country that it's, it's most dangerous to be a Christian in. He estimates that there's around 400,000 Christians that live under that, the communist rule in North Korea. And he writes this. He says, being discovered as a Christian, is a death sentence in North Korea. Did you hear that? Is a death sentence. If you aren't killed instantly, you will be taken to a labor camp as a political criminal. These inhumane prisons have horrific conditions, and few believers make it out alive. Everyone in your family will share the same punishment. Kim Jong-un is reported to have expanded the system of prison camps in which an estimated 50,000 to 70,000 Christians are currently imprisoned. The, The gospel message requires that we count the costs. There is a cost following Jesus. Um, As we've shared 
many times, Luke 9, 23, the very words of Jesus say this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him turn his back, her back on their kingdom and take up his cross daily, put it to death and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, before I go to the verse 26, I want to ask you, what did you just hear the most? Did you hear losing or gaining? Jesus gives the gospel here. He says, for whoever loses his life will save it. That's, are we hearing the good news more than the bad? I'm going to use the word bad news. Verse 26, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me, there it is, ashamed of me and, my, and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Again, he ends on the gospel. Those who follow me will, will walk in glory when I come back. Now, let me ask you, do you ever find yourself being ashamed of Jesus? Do you ever feel ashamed that you are a Christian? Are you ever ashamed of his people? There there is a cost, and I want to be just, just clear about that this morning, of why we can oftentimes come to the gospel and not be like Paul is. This morning, years ago, I was uh, I was talking to an elementary school teacher who works in the public who works in the public school system. At the time, she professed to be a Christian, and I was just talking to her. I was like, "Hey, do you ever get to share the gospel uh, with your students?" And she looked at me and said, "James, listen, if I did that, I could lose my job. I, I will I, I will never." Basically, she was saying, "I I, I don't share the gospel." because I don't want to lose my job. And let me just say, I, I, I know that we need to be wise. And, and, and we need to know when, we need to know how to share the gospel. There's a wise way to do that. And I'm really not judging her, because I don't know, fully know her situation. But what I do want to say is that we should never be resolved in our, in our hearts. I'm never going to share the gospel, because it would cost me this. I mean, when I think about it, what greater story to sit around a campfire knowing you lost your job in heaven, uh, you're around the campfire in heaven, if they have them there, uh, heavenly fires, and saying, man, yeah, I lost my job. I didn't. I was, I was stayed home and watched Netflix. Which, one, which, which story is more exciting to tell? I lost my life for Christ. I'm not trying to lose my job. Don't be, I'm not a martyr. I'm not trying to do that. But being tempted to be ashamed of Jesus is is common. That's why Jesus even says, don't be ashamed of me. He knows you're going to be tempted to be ashamed of me. Uh, Even the apostles in the the New Testament, we talk about how they deserted him the night of his arrest. We talk about how Peter denied him. He was ashamed around the campfire. Uh, But did you know that Jesus, uh, that Peter did it twice? Peter felt the same way twice. And this is after Jesus had risen from the dead. This is after Jesus has been an apostle for a while. You can read about it in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul records that when Peter first came to a city called Antioch, Peter was an obedient disciple of Jesus. 
and he went and hung out with Gentiles. They weren't, Jews weren't supposed to do that. Peter's like, the gospel had transformed his life. And he's like, the gospel's for everybody. So he hangs out with the Gentiles, he eats with them. And then this prominent group of people, Jews, came into the city and, and Peter basically values, begins valuing the wrong thing. He wants the praise of these prominent Jews who have come into Antioch. And so what does he do? He looks at the Gentiles, he's like, man, I can't hang out with you guys anymore. He basically pushes them to the side. He disobeys the gospel because they threatened his image, this little kingdom that he was beginning to build again. And Paul says to him, and I'm gonna, this is very, this is the James Nysong version uh, paraphrase of this. Paul basically goes, man, what are you doing? What are you doing, Peter? Why are you rebuilding the very thing you tore down? In other words, Peter, when you came to Jesus, you joyfully, you gladly took the keys to your kingdom and you handed them over to Jesus. You said, my works, my glory, my reputation, my ambitions, I crucify them all. I want you, Jesus. And he exchanged them for servants' clothes. But now, Paul, Paul says, you're, you're wanting those keys back. And here's the truth we have to embrace is that, that our kingdoms cannot coexist alongside of Jesus's. It's kind of like termite colonies. Have you ever seen termites colonies? I've got a picture of one right here. These are, are one of the most wonderful creations of God. Termites are. This is out in the wild. Uh, they've been known for building some of the most amazing structures. I think engineers have studied the way that they, they have built these structures. They have intricate tunnels within them. But, you know, termites become a threat when they decide to try to build their kingdoms, their homes alongside of ours, or worse yet, within ours. This is a picture of what happens when termites uh, begin to get into to a, a house. They can do great damage. Some of them had to, been, have had to be condemned. I've worked in somewhere. I was working and I was uh, trying to put some trim in and, and I poked straight through the wall because the wood because the termites had done such great damage. Um, the kingdom of ours, our kingdoms, humanly speaking, cannot coexist alongside of termites. They, they, they don't work together. And there are warning signs of termites. If you ever see this on your house, that is not a good thing, okay? That is a warning sign that termites are trying to build their kingdom next to yours. Uh, these are pathways where they, they go up. There's little tunnels in there, and they get bigger as the, as the army gets bigger up in top there. If, those, if it's little, you've caught it early. If it's like big and wide, yeah, you got some problems. So call it an exterminator. If you need an exterminator, I know a guy. He's, he's a Christian. I've used him for 20 years. He's a good guy. Okay. Paid for by. Okay, so if you see that, these are warning signs. And if, if left untreated, they will create great damage in your home. But there are also spiritual warning signs in our lives that can can alert us that we have spiritual termites going on in us. And they're found in our passage that I just read. Here, here's the warnings. 
you no longer feel obligated or eager to share the gospel with the lost. Or you're ashamed to share the gospel with those who are around you. If you're experiencing any of these symptoms concerning the gospel, you know what the solution is? The gospel. The gospel is the solution. And Paul says this in verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it, the message of the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The word salvation there means to rescue from danger, to restore to a, to restore to a former state of safety. When, when Peter was walking on the water and he wasn't walking on the water and he began to sink, he cries out, save me, restore me to my original state. That's part of the gospel that Jesus is restoring all things and making all things new. But, he's, but Paul is saying that he's not ashamed of it because it is the power of God to save, to restore, to rescue everyone who believes, not just from hell, to rescue us from, ter- from spiritual termites when we get numb, when we get apathetic, when we don't want to serve the Lord anymore. He says, to the Jew first, that is, the, go- the, um, the gospel came first to the Jews, and also to the Greek, then it went out to the Gentiles. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. God is going to reveal how you can be righteous through the gospel from faith for faith. In other words, it starts with faith, it ends with faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And the truth is, we all need righteousness if we are going to be acceptable to God. But we don't have it, do we, of our, of our own accord. We can't produce the righteousness that is required by God. And the gospel message, the good news, is that God has provided it. And we receive it by faith. And when we believe, listen, when you believe the gospel, the power of God is unleashed within you. When you truly believe it, this is what Paul was empowered by. You've already, if you're in Christ, you've already experienced it at least once. I want you to think about when you first came to God, when you first came to Christ. When your eyes were first opened when you realized that you were not walking with God and that you needed a Savior. And then you realized there is one, the very one I've been sinning against has made salvation for me. He loves me enough to die for me and then to give me his righteousness. That's the great exchange. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Do you remember that? What it made you want to do? Man, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I I want to follow him. I I no longer want to live for me. And, and, And you came to Jesus. You came to God and said, my life is yours. And your heart cry was, I want you to increase. 
and I'm going to decrease. I remember when I was six years old, alone in my bedroom. I'd heard the gospel my whole life, but finally the lights came on. And I can remember calling out to the Lord and asking him to save me. And knowing after I was, had put my faith in him, knowing that my sins were forgiven, I remember the joy I felt because I knew, and I, I still remember thinking this, I will never perish. I will always have everlasting life. And when I realized that as a six-year-old, I was filled with this joy and I became obligated I became eager. I became unashamed of the gospel. Everybody I came around with had to taste and see what I had tasted and sown. Because why? I had experienced, experienced it. The power of God found in knowing the love of God. I had been transformed by the love of Christ. The love of Christ empowers. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 the same thing. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. Look what he's concluded. Number one, that one has died for all. That Jesus has died for all. Therefore, all have died. In other words, I've already died. I've already been punished because Christ died for me. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul, look, Paul was fueled, not by guilt. He didn't do things because he felt guilty because somebody had guilt-tripped him into to doing what he's supposed to do. He didn't do it. He wasn't fueled by fear of the wrath of God. Now listen, next week, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, we're going to finish this chapter out. It's all about the wrath of God, and we should be fearful of the wrath of God if we've not put our faith in Jesus Christ. But that is not what he was eager to proclaim, the wrath of God. That's the bad news we're going to talk about next week. Paul understood, and we, church, listen, we've got to understand that if we're going to live empowered lives for Jesus, listen to me, if you were going to live empowered lives for Jesus, then the message of the gospel, that is, in love, Christ died for his people. In love, Christ died. We've got to understand that message, and it must remain fresh. It must remain new within our hearts, our minds, and our souls. That's why Paul is saying all these things, because right now when he's writing this, back then, it was fresh in his heart, his mind, his soul. And I want to encourage us that we not lose confidence in that message. That message is the message that still has the power to transform lives. Because, Paul says, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So, the good news of Jesus Christ must be our food. It must be our message. It must be our hope. In other words, Jesus has to be the center of it all. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, you can't love Christ too much. You can't think about him too much or thank him too much or depend on him too much. 
all our forgiveness, all our justification, all our righteousness is in Christ. This is the gospel. The good news that our sins are laid on Christ and his righteousness is laid on us and that this great exchange becomes ours, not by works, but by faith alone. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message that empowered Paul. That is the message that will empower us when we embrace it by faith. So I want to encourage us to be a church that reads about it, that thinks about it, that talks about it, that preaches about it, that sings about it, and that shares it. Did you know that sharing the gospel with someone else is one of the greatest ways to to grow your faith and to make it alive in you? Now, I've been praying for myself a scary prayer this week. I have been praying, Lord, show me someone that I can share the gospel with. Now, you're like, well, James, that... Yeah, I struggle with that. That's where I'm at. But you know what? The thing about it is, is if I will be obedient and take steps, I'm going to grow in my walk with Christ. And this is the exciting thing again. We can be where we are, but not stay where we are because of the gospel. And, And the gospel empowers us to move forward. So before Pastor Terry comes this morning, and we have the Lord's Supper, what I want to do is I want us to preach the gospel to ourselves by singing about it. Dylan's going to come forward with Abby, and we are going to sing about the love of God. I want to encourage you, as you're singing, sing the words of the gospel to yourself, and as you're singing, you're going to be proclaiming it to one another. This is, a, this is a, kind of like a spiritual discipline that I want to do. But I am so... Um, so encouraged by the simplicity of the gospel that it is the power to change lives, mine included. And I love seeing how God is doing that in our church right now. So let's stand together and sing together.